My name is Randy. Glad to be with you. And uh, we're going to look at the Word of God now for a bit. Uh, for the last month or so, we have been considering how do we walk in the footsteps of Jesus? How do we live the kind of life that he lived, staying and doing, uh, saying and doing the kinds of things that he said and did? How, how do we become great parents, uh, husbands and wives? How, how do we be great kids and students? How do we be great neighbors and citizens? How, how can we be great employers and employees and soldiers and airmen and officers? How, how do we be great church members and leaders for that matter? Well, we've been suggesting that we do that by using keys to kingdom living that God has given us in his word, that when understood and implemented in our lives will enable us to unlock and live the kind of life that he wants us to live and that we desire to live as well. So each Sunday we've been looking at and identifying uh, different keys. And this afternoon I want to do that again. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for the wonderful things that you've done for us through um, this season of this fast. Uh, This was uh, something that you initiated, you invited us into, and you have come through for us. Lord, we have offered uh, it to you as a gift, as fruit that would bring you glory. And we thank you that we get to complete it uh, in a glorious fashion. And Lord, I just ask that you would um, bring us together next week, that we would uh, have uh, continued stories to tell of your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Father, I just welcome you now to have your way. Um, This time is about you. It's about us learning more about you and about offering ourselves to you. And so I just welcome you, Holy Spirit, have your way. For our guests that are here, I ask especially that they might find and meet you today in a very unique way. In Jesus' name, amen. Get this monitor just a little bit closer than it used to be. I'll try over here. Um, After the Last Supper, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus and his disciples walked through a vineyard on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's recorded for us in the book of John. It's not in any of the other Gospels. I suspect the others just kind of Gethsemane was so profound to them that this vineyard uh, event and journey um, was not something that they were reminded to include. But there is uh, some profound lessons for us from that vineyard uh, walk that night. Uh, I kind of wonder, it must have been fully moonlit or something for Jesus to describe all that he did. Uh, that or it was very familiar to all of them. But if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to talk through this as we anticipate identifying uh, a key to kingdom living that God can help us to be able to become and do all that uh, he wants us to be and do. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Keep uh, keep in mind, you know, Jesus is, this is right before the crucifixion. It's midnight, it's 1 a.m. in the morning. It's not real clear exactly. It's uh, sometime uh, they're walking through in the dark, uh, through the vineyard. They're proceeding Gethsemane. Jesus is going to experience in just a few moments there in Gethsemane one of the greatest trials of his life. Uh, and yet uh, submitting to the will of the Father, as we've looked at in previous weeks, that key. Um, And then the following day is going to be uh, crucified, uh, experiencing all of that. And here he takes time to again address the disciples and help them understand what they're going to need to know um, 
after he's gone. So beginning at verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me falls away, withers and dries up. Such branches are gathered and used for firewood. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's look at some of the elements from this lesson. Firstly, of course, Jesus identifies and speaks of himself being the vine. If you're familiar with grapevines, you might think that the vine is the long trailing limbs that sprawls along the trellis, but actually the vine is the trunk of the plant that supports the root structure and then and comes up to uh, that point where then the branches branch out from that. Um, they grow along the trellis. Most uh, vineyards, um, I was going to have pictures of it, and I, I got some, but I never put them up there. But anyway, um, most vineyards will have a line of some kind, of, like a rope or a cable that's running along, and, and the, the branches grow onto that, and they're tied up to that. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the vine is the trunk. It's the base from which, of course, the branches grow. The father he identifies is the vine dresser. He is the keeper of the vineyard. He's the gardener. His job is to tend and help the plants be fruitful, be as fruitful as possible. And he does this in a very tender, caring way, as we'll also see in a moment. And then he says we, his followers, are the branches. In the vineyard, the branches are the focus of the vine dresser's efforts because that's where they produce the fruit. The fruit doesn't grow on the vine. It grows on the branches. Branches are tied on the trellis, as we've talked about. They're sometimes propped up with sticks so that their air can circulate around the leaves and um, the grape clusters as they fall down, so they're providing the maximum amount of sunshine as well as access for tending them. And the vine dresser lovingly cultivates each branch so that it will bear as much fruit as possible. Therefore, the purpose of the branches is to produce fruit. We have vine plants and vine branches so that there are grapes, so that there is produce. Notice verse 8 of the passage we read, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I was uh, think thoughtful of the song we were singing earlier that spoke of um, the Lord's glory uh, being filled, uh, in the earth being filled with the Lord's glory. And, and here in this text, we're describing the way that happens is through the fruit of our lives, the fruit of the lives of Christians who are followers of Christ. 
We've been created by God to be fruitful. And fruitfulness is a mark of being a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The good works that God desires us to do is this fruit of John 15 that Jesus is describing. In Titus 3.14, the Apostle Paul says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing good works in order to meet vital needs so that they may not be unfruitful. God is looking for fruitfulness from those who follow him. We bear inner fruit when our hearts are changed, when we produce Christ-like qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, what are called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those are inner fruit, inner qualities in our lives. We also bear outward fruit when we love and care for other people above and beyond ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but um, when there's a lack of inner fruit, it manifests in a lack of outer fruit. You ever notice that one? Stuff going on inside. There's a challenge on the outside. Have you also noticed that when there's a, a lack of, um, excuse me, another thing that happens to me is that sometimes there's bad inner fruit, and that produces bad external fruit. Anybody know about that one? Yesterday I woke up, uh, I, I just woke up a little distressed. I was concerned over a, a number of situations. Uh, got up to have breakfast, and I'm informed that the dishwasher was broken. Uh, ended up spending an hour and a half on that of time that I had planned to use another way. Um, the internal fruit of worry and frustration appeared, appeared outwardly then in my family situation as an unkindness by me towards them, which I had apologized for later in the day. Sometimes we've been hurt or we're disappointed by other people, and there's an internal hurt, there's a disappointment. And sometimes when that is added to other stresses in our lives, they can spill out or even spray out on other people. When What we need is comfort for the hurt and disappointment, but our response often causes hurt to other people, and then we get more hurt ourselves. Familiar with that one as well? So fruit-bearing is something that is going on every day in our lives. It's, it's happening every moment of our lives in our relationship with others as well as uh, even when we're on our own because there's both internal and external fruit that are very important to God. Jesus says just a little later in chapter 15 of John, John 15, 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The purpose that we were created, Paul said, was to produce good works. The purpose that we are saved, Jesus said, was to bear much fruit. Number five, I want to talk about levels of fruitfulness. In this passage from John we read earlier, Jesus describes four levels of fruitfulness, four kind of baskets of fruit, you might say. Basket number one is no fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. The second basket he describes is a basket that has just some fruit in it. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Basket number three has more fruit in it. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And then basket four, 
speaks of much fruit. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. We're going to talk more in depth about those in just a moment. God, our vine dresser, is very, very concerned and participative to help us produce more fruit. In each one of these levels, uh, we're going to see that he is very much a part of helping us become more fruitful. God is worthy of being presented a basket that is full of much fruit. That's one of the ways that we can express our love to him. It's one of the ways that we honor and glorify him is by being fruitful in the things that bring him glory. Again, John 15:8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What, a, what an awesome opportunity to demonstrate and show our love for God. We talk about loving God. We say, God, I love you. We sing songs about love. But here is a, is a genuine and a practical way to demonstrate, to show that love for him. Number six, fruitfulness is a byproduct of abiding or being connected to the vine. Branches don't work to produce fruit. You ever thought about that? If you've ever walked through a vineyard, you'll never hear the branches groaning to produce grapes. They only do it at night when we're all asleep, right? The branches are groaning, trying to push out those grapes. No, it comes naturally as a part of being connected to the vine. They were created for that purpose. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Number seven, fruitlessness is a byproduct of disconnecting from the vine. Notice verse six. Whoever does not abide in me falls away, withers, and dries up. Such branches are gathered and used for fire. How many of you have ever uh, trimmed your trees or bushes and left them in a pile for a while? Anybody ever done that? What, what do they become like after a few weeks? What happens to them? They get brown, the leaves change. They get dry, the sap eventually dries out. I've got firewood in my backyard from cutting some of the trees in our property when we first moved in a couple years ago. There's no sap left in those. We put them in the fireplace and they go, they just light up. In the same way, the surest way to be fruitless is to disconnect from God and other Christians. Often we see that manifestation. I remember as a, a teenager on a youth camping one time, uh, with our youth group and, you know, sitting around the campfire. There's all kinds of stories from sitting around the campfires, right? And I remember, uh, I've, I've told this one before, some of you remember it, but we were sitting around and the youth pastor was talking and, and, and teaching and he was kind of had a stick and was kind of playing with the fire while he was teaching and talking. And, and at some point he took one of the, the branches or logs that were sort of in the fire and he just kind of scooted it out of the fire. You know, it had been burning well with the rest of the fire, but he scoots it out and, you know, it's burning over there for a little bit, but you kind of lose focus of it. And then you, he's telling on, telling on, and then he brings us back to the attention of this piece of wood that's over here. And he says, well, hey, look at this piece of wood. What happened to that? Well, you took it out of the fire. What happened? Well, it, it stopped burning. And that was a object lesson for us that just in a very similar way, being disconnected from God, from his people, from his church, causes a gap and the challenge of flaming out for God or drying up as in the illustration from uh, the vineyard here today. So fruitlessness is a byproduct of disconnecting from God. 
Number eight, God is our vine dresser, is committed to helping us be fruitful branches. Earlier I talked about these, just a moment ago, I talked about these four baskets of fruitfulness that Jesus identifies. And I want to talk briefly about how God tends to the branches to help them be more fruitful. And as we do that, I might suggest that it's possible for you to possibly identify where are you in this, in this process today. Where's your basket today? Do you have a basket that's empty? Do you have a basket that's got just a little bit in it? Do you have uh, quite a bit, or is your, yours a basket that has much fruit? Let's first talk about basket number one, the basket that has no fruit. Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Now, most translations say he takes away or cuts off. That's the predominant translation. However, uh, the word there in Greek uh, can also mean lift up. Um, and if you listen to this description I'm going to give you in a moment from a modern-day vine dresser, it makes a whole lot more sense uh, to understand the tending of vines in this way. This modern-day vine dresser says, new branches have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. A vine, a, a grape vine grows up the stalk, the branches come out, and they're going to go down. They're, they're long, and, they're, and, they're, and they are weighted, and they go down into the ground. That's where they naturally go, but they can't bear fruit down on the ground. When the branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dirt. When it rains, they get muddy, and then they get mildewed. The branch becomes sick and useless. So periodically, we go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for those branches. When we find them, we don't cut them off or throw them away. Instead, we lift them up and wash them. Then we wrap them around the trellis, tying them up into the trellis, and pretty soon they're thriving. So that is the picture of what the Father does to us when he finds us with baskets that have no fruit. He doesn't whack us off at the first uh, thing. He gently cleans us. For us as Christians, sin is like that dirt covering the grape leaves. Air and light can't get in. Things are hindered from getting in. God's nourishments, the branch languishes and no fruit develops. And when that happens, God, our vine dresser, will intervene. And God's response to no fruit is discipline. He lifts us up away from our destructive and unfruitful pursuits. The author of Hebrews tells us about this process. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children? My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. There's three principles that can be identified from these verses. Firstly, God is the source of discipline and correction. He is He disciplines those whom he loves, and it's his children that he disciplines. The author goes on to share with us the results of discipline, Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. I might add, in his fruitfulness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
Does discipline feel good to the child? No. Does disciplining feel good to the parent? No. God's purpose for discipline in our lives is to lift us up out of the sin and setting us up again into a place where we can be fruitful. So that's the response of the father is discipline to an empty basket of fruit. Basket number two is the fruit, uh, is a basket that has some fruit in it. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. God's strategy for coaxing a greater harvest out of his branches is not one that you and I would prefer. God's response to some fruit in our basket is pruning, which means to thin, to reduce, or to cut off. As unthinkable as it sounds, as contradictory as it is, the vine dresser's secret for more fruit is less, is cutting off and cut trimming. Listen again to the words of a modern-day vine dresser. Because of the grape branch's tendency to grow so vigorously, a lot of wood must be cut away each year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where fruit should form. Left to itself, a grape plant will always favor new growth over more grapes. Let me say that one again. Left to itself, a grape plant will always favor new growth looking good, over more grapes, fruitfulness. The result from a distance, it looks like luxurious growth, an impressive achievement, but up close there is an underwhelming harvest. For the Christian, rampant growth represents all those preoccupations and priorities in our lives that while they're not maybe wrong, they're keeping us from more significant fruitfulness to God. There's things that we are busy doing that might even look good, but they're really distracting from true fruitfulness. I wonder if perhaps you have prayed at some time for God's super abundant blessings and pleaded God that he would make you more like his son. I'm sure you have. And the answer to that prayer is usually pruning. You're asking for God's pruning shears. Pruning is how God answers our prayers that our life will please him and have greater impact. We'll have more fruit. So if disciplining is about sin, a moment ago we talked about the, the, the first basket being empty. If disciplining is about sin, then pruning is about ourselves. In pruning, God asks us to let go of things that keep us from what is better and best. In the earlier stages of Christian life, pruning is mostly about our outward activities and our priorities. His purpose is to cut away immature commitments, lesser priorities, to make room for a greater abundance for his glory. Pruning is how God changes the picture of our life from a basket that is almost empty to a basket that's starting to fill. Now, a challenge can be in our lives, which is appropriate to, in order to benefit from pruning, is to distinguish it from discipline. How, how do you how do you make a distinction between what's discipline and what's pruning? And so I want to give you a a chart here that perhaps can help you. Um, how do you know that this process is happening in your life? With discipline, there's pain. It doesn't feel good. With dis- discipline, doesn't feel good. You're getting spanking. That's having to deal with some sin patterns in you, some things that you've become involved in that are hindering fruitfulness. What about with pruning? You also have pain. So that isn't one of the ways we can distinguish the two. Pruning hurts. 
Yeah. Reality is discipline hurts, so does pruning. All right, so why is it happening? In the case of disciplining, you're doing something wrong. In the case of pruning, you're doing something right. Does that make sense? There's fruit in your basket. There's something right that's going on. And so you're inviting God into your life. You're saying, God, I want more of you. God, I want my life to look more like Jesus. I want to be able to help people more. Pruning, you're doing something right. Okay, what's the level of fruitfulness? We've already said in disciplining there is no fruit. In pruning there is some fruit. What is the vine dresser's desire? In disciplining is to produce fruit. In the case of pruning, he's looking for more fruit. What is it that needs to go away? What is it that needs to change? In disciplining, it's sin. There's habits and patterns. There's issues regarding sin. There's things that are wrong. In the case of pruning, it's self. It's ego. It's what I think is best rather than what God thinks is best. Now, here's another one where there's a pretty significant distinction. How should you feel if this is happening? In the case of disciplining, you should be, you should respond with a righteous guilt or a sadness. You should acknowledge your sin and you should be sad. With pruning, you can be encouraged. You can be hopeful. God's answering your prayers. Hot dog. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Okay, what is the right response? And here's the kind of million dollar question. What is the right response to discipline? It's repentance. Stop sinning. Pruning is release. Let go. Give God permission to do his work. Allow the pruning to accomplish what he desires it to accomplish. When does it stop? Disciplining is easy when we stop sinning. Pruning? When God's finished. That process that we can't fully understand. Just a week ago Friday, our family um, finally had the opportunity to, well, we didn't have the opportunity. The guys were coming to, you know, pick up the trash outside any level. So we cleaned our yard. We pruned and cut back. And uh, we have uh, quite a few different kinds of bushes and branches and crepe, not crepe myrtles. What's the tree we have, Claire? The, they are crepe myrtles? They're crepe myrtles. Okay, we have like four of those. And um, we just planted those a couple years ago when we first moved in the house. And as and, and we also have a lemon tree uh, there in the front. And as we got to prune them, it was sort of like, okay, you know, what of this is not being helpful to produce the... Uh, effect and the fruitfulness of this particular plant. The crepe myrtles, of course, as in flowers and leaves and branches. In the case of lemon tree, of course, is, is fruit. And so we had to cut away and trim away to prune away that which was hindering this plant from its fruitfulness of what it's like. That's what God does. And we were done when we were done. You know, we, I, Clara was doing some of them, and I came to the front yard and said, no, nah, I think there's a couple more over here. Okay, snip, snip. And that's what God is doing in our life. So the end result God is looking for in pruning is less of you and more of him. And the end result of that is fruit. Now basket number three is more fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is 
not something that only happens in the earlier stages of our Christian life. It's something that goes down, and God does throughout our entire lives, that we might bear more fruit throughout our whole lives. God desires more fruit that will bring more pruning. So I'm talking now about a distinction of maybe someone who has been a Christian now for many years, someone who is more mature, someone who has already laid down a lot of the, the primary issues of self and priorities and some of those kinds of things, and, and we're still crying out for God's more of God in our life. And his desire for more fruit brings more pruning. But this pruning is different than it was in the early stages. In the early stages, it was mostly, as I said, about outward activities, priorities, things of that nature. But pruning in the later stages of the Christian life is mostly about internal values. It's about our personal identity. The letters of the Apostle Paul, James, and John were written to Christians of various spiritual maturities. Some of the things they wrote were for young Christians. Sometimes it has the ring of do this and don't do that. But some of the things they wrote were for more mature Christians. And those things tend to sound more like become like this. So in our early stages of Christianity, God is working on sort of habits and outward patterns. Do this, don't do that. Does that sound familiar? Is that kind of how you first felt when you first felt discipline or, or correction or pruning? But later on in life, it's more about who we are becoming, who we are. Uh, personally, uh, this lesson has such a profound significance for me personally because uh, I'm go- I've been going through, our church has been going through for a number of years now, a pruning process that isn't so much about people, you know, cutting off people. It's about pruning us. It's about pruning me. And, uh, and one of the things I've mentioned this before, but, you know, uh, um, it, it can be pretty easy for a pastor to feel like church is about them. It can be fairly easy for a pastor to be able to feel like if there's a lot of people there, they're good. And if there aren't a lot of people there, they're not good. The offering's good, things are great. The offering's not great, things are, you know, you get what I'm saying? If you had a personal business, it'd be the same way. If you if you're the manager of a department, it's the same way. If you're if you're a sales manager, you've you know you, you've had a good day when all your salespeople have done well. That's the tendency, but that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is about being transformed into the person of Christ. And Christ wasn't about numbers. He had a lot of numbers, but his his self worth wasn't based on those numbers wasn't based on how good your kids are doing. Uh, you know, most of you are younger here, a couple of us are older, but you know, how our kids make that transition from teenage into their, their own faith in their 20s is huge for Christian parents. We bite our fingernails, pull our hair out, can't you tell? I've got three older daughters. Well, we're, we're all in that kind of, you know, so what God is dealing with relative to more fruit is dealing with what, who we are inside, who we are and, and how we relate. Pruning of those who are more mature can be thought of in terms of the biblical phrase, the testing of your faith. We enter the Christian life through faith, but we also proceed through the Christian life by faith. And there is a testing of our faith, producing it to become a healthier plant, a healthier person to produce more fruit. That makes sense? 
We're all together on that? Okay. God's desire is to deepen our trust in and dependency upon him, thereby multiplying the effectiveness for him. This is exactly where I personally am right now. James 1.34 says, Let the testing of your faith have its full and complete work that you may be fully mature and complete, lacking nothing. He doesn't speak of fruitfulness there, but you can hear the ring of it. Let the testing of your faith have its full and complete work that you might be fully mature and complete. Just this healthy branch, this healthy uh, vines that are just full of luscious fruit. Don't you see that in that verse? Tests of faith, however, are not very fun. They're a kind of pruning. They are trials, they're hardships that invite us to surrender something of great value to God, even when we have every right not to. This church, I remember on the uh, 31st of December, we had the cross up here, we had red pieces of paper, and we were putting down in those things, uh, you know, things that we wanted to leave behind, things we wanted to give to God. And one of the things I wrote on my little piece of paper was this church. To give it to God. Well, you think, well, of course it's God's. I mean, I say that. I say that every week. Yes, this is God's church. But the the reality is, is that it's connected to who I am, I think. And God is at work in that, in me. And he's got things happening for you. For some of you, it's your kids. Some of you, it's your career. Some of you, it's your health. Some of you, it's your good looks. Or your not so good looks. I mean... We've all got, it's just, you know, just find what it is for you that he's describing and talking about, these trials, these hardships. You know, we might feel stretched, even assaulted by these circumstances, but we're not being judged and we're not guilty. The psalmist describes this refining experience as a priceless result. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Psalm 66, 10 and 12. Have you noticed that a test of faith doesn't really test anything unless it pushes us past our last test? It's kind of like working out with weights. You know, we can work out with weights, but if we're not expanding, if we're not adding more weight, if we're just still using the same amount of weight we did when we first started, we're not, we're not growing. We're not advancing at all. We're not expanding. That's why pruning often lasts longer and goes further than we think is reasonable or fair. I've said that to God recently. Can we, can we be done with this yet? But when is pruning done? When he's done. When the plant is ready for fruitfulness again. That's why it's very, very important for us not to pull out when we reach what we think is our limit, otherwise we'll never grow or know how much we can really trust God. Again, trusting Him is what is really important. It's the testing of our faith. Do we trust God? Clara and her community group this week, uh, one of the high school groups, not her community group, the high school community group that she was at, kind of was talking about the verse on Wednesday that was uh, in the uh, prayer material for that day. And she had had a pretty uh, kind of profound uh, connection with that passage earlier that day. And and, and she uh, then shared and, and led the, uh, the group uh, to look at that verse and then kind of a gotcha moment when, you know, are you trusting God for your life? I can't describe it as she did, but 
I mean, that we all, you know, whether it's finances, whether it's your health, whether it's your career, it doesn't really matter. Are you trusting God or are you carrying the ball? Is it all up to you? That's what's being tested. Are we trusting God? A very helpful truth to keep in mind during the pruning process is that God knows our limit and will not take us beyond it. 1 Corinthians 10.13, a passage we often translate the word temptation, but the word in the New Testament Greek for temptation and trial is the same, so they can be interchangeable, and I have interspersed the word trial instead of temptation in this familiar passage. No trial has seized you except what is common to all, and God is faithful, for he will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear, but with the trial, he will also provide a way to endure so that you can make it through. God is not going to test you beyond what you can bear, but he is going to test your faith to help you grow. God is not trying to break us. He's expanding our faith. The goal of pruning for the mature is that we will be so surrendered to God that everything we now love dearly, even worthy activities and goals, will be released into God's hands. And what remains in our grip is one passion, one goal, one unhindered opportunity to bear more fruit for God. So in pruning, our response makes all the difference. We can complain, rebel, compromise, or run away. All things I have tried here and there. Or we can experience the strength, the growth, and the joy that comes to disciples who keep their eyes on the prize rather than the pain. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, 7 through 14. Whatever gain I had accumulated in religious activities or worldly treasures, I have come to regard as loss because of Jesus. Indeed, I... Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash. Waste product. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already complete, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have yet made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. That's a, that's, that's a prayer. That's a passage about mature pruning. That's about someone whose life is being laid down. The priorities, who they are, what they're connected to, all the meanings and things they've thought in life are now God's. And then there is the fourth basket. This is the basket of much fruit. Jesus says, those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit 
because apart from me, you can do nothing. The secret to much fruit in our lives is not discipline. It's not pruning. It's abiding. Abiding means to stay, remain, continue, endure, live, dwell, lodge in. It's the intertwining of two lives. Abiding is all about the most important friendship of our life. Abiding doesn't measure how much we know or what we do. It measures how connected are we to Jesus. Abiding has to do with where the ancient trunk meets the growth of the branch, the touch point, the place where abiding happens. Here the connection where life gives nutrients in the sap flowing through to the developing fruit. The only limitation on the amount of sap or life that goes to the fruit is the circumference of the branch where it meets the vine. That means that the branch with the largest, least obstructed connection with the vine is abiding the most and will have the greatest potential of a huge crop. To abide means to remain, to stay closely connected, to have an openness, an unhindered passage of life between Jesus' life in us and our life in him. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is now Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the vine, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So abiding is about seeking and longing for and thirsting for and waiting for. It's about seeing, knowing, loving, hearing, and responding to a person. More abiding means more of God in our lives, more of him in our thoughts, desires, and activities. I did an exercise and didn't include it because of the amount of material it was, but I did an exercise this week. I was doing some research on passages of Scripture that speak of us in Christ. I've also looked up passages that spoke of Christ in us. The most famous there, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It was a very fascinating uh, uh, study and, and came up with a zillion, you know, a hundred things of what it means for us to, for us to, Christ to be in us and for us to be in Christ. It was profound and I might encourage you uh, to try and do that sometime. That's what this abiding process is all about. And, and we, we benefit. The life of God flowing through us, the production of fruit, benefits us. It is life to us. And it comes as a result, this much fruit comes through abiding. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century Christian who worked in a monastery kitchen, described his practice of abiding in God. I do nothing else but abide in his holy presence. And I do this by simple attentiveness and a habitual loving turning of my eyes on him. This I call a wordless and secret conversation between the soul and God, which no longer ends. In John 15.10, Jesus tells us one of the keys to abiding in him. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding has to do with a connected relationship. We might paraphrase what Jesus is saying here like this. 
If you want to abide in me, you have to go where I'm going and do what I'm doing. When you go your own way and do your own thing, you're living on your own. That's what he's saying. That's what that passage about obeying means. The Apostle John wrote a lot about abiding in his first letter. And keep in mind, if you would, when we talk about this kind of a connected relationship, John is the one disciple described as the one Jesus loved. He's also the one who is said to have leaned against Jesus during the Last Supper, laid his head upon his bosom, which is the stomach area. Jesus, John was so close, he was so intimate with Jesus, that even during that meal, he was, he was there in that kind of a connection. He wrote a lot about abiding. He says this in 1 John 2.6, Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. So mature abiding in Jesus looks like us looking like Jesus. It also looks like a life of love and given to others. John 14, 6, excuse me, 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Abiding is a living, connected, vital relationship with God. It's aligning with and living in God's presence. And the result is much fruit. A life of bounty for God that will not only be repaid with well done, thou good and faithful servant, but will also be repaid, Jesus tells us, with blessing here on earth and eternal compensation in heaven. So the key for kingdom living for this week that will enable us to unlock and live the kind of life that God wants for us that we desire to live as well is this fruitfulness that comes through God's discipline and pruning and abiding in Christ the key is fruitfulness this afternoon as we conclude I'd, I'd like you as I encouraged before you to reflect for just a moment if you were to sort of gather together all the fruit of your life, the fruit of your life that has been invested in heaven, how full is your basket? Does your basket barely have anything in it? If so, are there areas in your life that might need some correction? Does your basket have some fruit in it, but it could have more? If so, are there areas in your life that perhaps needs pruning. Maybe that's something God's doing in your life right now. And you've gone, ah, is that what God's doing? I get it now. Or does your basket have quite a bit of fruit, but you long for it to be overflowing? Then if so, how might you increase your connectedness with Jesus? I said earlier, we express our love for God through fruitfulness for Him. It's the way we demonstrate love. So if you would, just take a moment and consider how full is your basket? How full would you like it to be? And what possibly is the process that he might want for you? So just consider that for a moment, and then I'll lead us in prayer.
Father, I'm confident that all of us here want to offer fruit to you, to offer you a a full basket of fruit. You have been so loving, so kind to us, so generous. It's sort of the least we could do. But the price tag is a bit more than most of us consider, I think, most of the time. I always pray for those who um, look at their life and, and, and just don't see a whole lot of fruit. The discouragement that could be there, the um, sense of disappointment, sense of pressure. I just welcome you. As the loving, tender gardener, come and lift up those dirty limbs, wash and cleanse them. Help them, Lord. Might they be responsive to your correction. Might they welcome it, it as from the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. Father, for those who look in their basket and see just uh, see some fruit, but it's uh, not quite uh, what they'd like to see. Lord, there too might be discouragement, disappointment. I ask in Jesus' name that you would fill them with courage to welcome your pruning process. What are those distractions, that, those hindrances that keep us from a fuller basket? And I welcome you again, loving gardener, to come and prune that they would know your hand and your touch as one of love, that they would be hopeful and encouraged that you're coming to clear away the dead wood, the pretty stuff that is just hindering real, true fruitfulness. Lord, many of us are caught with wanting to look good on the outside. It's just really the norm of humankind. But, Lord, it's the inside where the pruning needs to happen. That there might be fruit for you. Father, for those who look and see a lot of fruit, Lord, I ask that you would alert them even now to the process that you're going to take them through as you have me of dealing with dying to myself dying to what I think is best and living to what you think is best. Disconnecting myself from image values that are um, insignificant. That you would do a work of, of pruning, Lord, that makes us be like those older, well-producing, well-trimmed vineyards that produce such wonderful harvests that you might be glorified. And Father, really for all of us 
Jesus' words, the only way that we can produce any fruit is through your life. We all need to abide in you, to remain connected, to welcome your life. And I do that now, Lord, for each one here. I welcome your Holy Spirit to expand our connectedness, to expand our awareness of your presence, to welcome you each and every day of our lives, to learn that you really do sit on that car seat next to us. You really do sit at the desk next to us. You really do walk each day with us. Help us see you, Lord. And might we invite you to be bigger and greater in our lives, that you might produce much fruit through us, that you would be glorified. Lord, it isn't much fruit. It's not about us. It's about those who don't yet know you. It's about new disciples. It's about caring for the poor feeding those who are hungry. It's about offering a kind word to an outcast at school. Lord, that's the kind of fruit you're looking for. So come, lift us up. Discipline us where needed. Prune us, Lord. Cultivate us that you would receive the glory that is your due. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd like to do, as we uh, often do here, uh, is to uh, close the service and then welcome any of you that would like to receive some prayer uh, from someone. We have uh, members here that are prepared and ready to pray for you. Uh, Perhaps some of the things from this talk have stirred in you a a sense of wanting more, a sense of an area where maybe you need some help. Um, these folks would love an opportunity to talk with you, pray with you. Uh, some of you may have come today particularly with needs, whether they be health needs, uh, whether they be emotional needs, circumstances or situations in your lives. Again, these folks would love an opportunity to pray with you and um, to be here for you. Thanks for coming, and uh, might God be with you. Might you... Uh, Be fruitful for him uh, this week as you go forth. God bless.